Awesome. I feel like I'm in the middle here, but I'm not. Okay. I start my timer right now. There we go. Hey? Yeah. So, I have had an amazing week. I've had a super busy week. Move a bit away from the speaker. A bit of feedback there. It's just been super busy, but I've been seeing so many people and and hanging out with people like Mike and and others and just hearing how God's doing stuff. And it's just amazing to see how God is moving. And I'm really hungry at the moment. And as that prophetic word came through in worship, I'm really hungry to see stuff happening. And God is definitely moving. And um, yeah, so just to encourage everybody just to keep on seeking God and seeking God come through and stuff. So this morning, I'm sharing on something different. It's partially prophetic. It's something I felt a couple of months ago. Um, God gave me a whole bunch of sermons to prepare. And this is the one I faithfully prepared. And this is the one that God wants to use. Um, but the timing of it is very prophetic, prophetic, I felt. And that in some ways, for those of you who were here last week when Ryan shared, in some ways it feels like it's a, it's a continuation on some of the things that he shared. So as a warm-up exercise, because um, those are always good, I just want to ask a few questions. And I actually need answers. So my time's ticking, so please answer quickly. But I want to know here, show of hands, who here is in the army of God? Who here is in the army of God? Show of hands. Okay, good. Good, good spattering going on there. Okay. And then I'm going to actually ask for an answer from somebody. I'm going to start with Dave because he's, he's, he's safe. But who is our enemy? The fish. <laughs> and? Satan. <laughs> okay, got it. <laughs> and, then I, it's, and then I wanted to ask... What are the tools and weapons that we have? I'm going to answer this one because it's a bit abstract. But Ephesians 6 talks about the armor of God and the weapons we have and the spirit um, and the Bible and everything else that we have with us. But here's a question I'm going to ask Stefan. I'm warning him as I walk towards him. But why are we in an army? I suspect it's because there's a war. I suspect that you're right. <laughs> so why does God have an army? Why does God need an army? Okay. And so that's, what I wanna, that's not what I want to talk about tonight, this morning. But I wanted to just point out there, we know a lot about who. We know a lot about what and how. We even know why often there is an army. But the thing that I want to hit on this morning, and we can put it up on the board, where? Where is this army, and where are we fighting? And I'm not asking that in a question of, where are you guys? I'm asking about what, what is our surroundings? What battlefield are we fighting on? And I want to put forward a theory, and it's not my theory. I think it's God's facts. It's not theory, actually. Um, but it's in the Bible. But we are actually living and fighting Behind enemy lines. Boom. There we go. And the, the point, I made it bold at the top there, the, the living. Because it's not like when we think about war often and 
you know, you watch these American films or these American TV series and there's, there's an army base somewhere and then they quickly go somewhere, fight a war, and then, and then leave again. You know, that's often what people think about nowadays. But the war we are fighting, the war we are waging against the enemy, we are actually living in it. We are living behind enemy lines. And that means it's a day-to-day process that we go through. It's not something we can just be like, hey, I'm going to go on an outreach and go to the front lines, and then I'm going to go back to my cushy life. We're in it. You wake up in the morning, you're in it. You go through your day, you go to work, we're in it. That's what I want to propose this morning, and I'm going to show it to you in Scripture. But where we, the other part of it that I wanted to point out is that often, like Dave pointed out, and I'm glad he did, is that often our first thought is our flesh, and my daily fight is against the thoughts in my head, or I'm fighting the struggles in my life. But this morning, and that's good, obviously it's good, we need to fight the flesh, we need to come through into more of God, but this morning when I'm talking, it's a zooming out into the bigger picture of the battle that we're fighting as an army, not just as a soldier, as one soldier, but as an army, the battle that we're fighting. And the reason I feel God is wanting to share this this morning is that if we don't know where we are, we're going to use the wrong tactics. If we think that it's only when we go out, it's only when we go and speak to people, it's only when we're in a prayer meeting, if it's only when we go out and do stuff that we're in the the fight, we're going to use the wrong tactics. And so this morning I want to share something different and some of the tactics. I'll get into the tactics later. So I was going to use a metaphor, um, and God a couple of weeks ago said to me, just be ready, Ian, because I might change the preach on the morning. And I was like, great. I've always wanted to be one of those. You know, this, they, you see them like fighting furiously with their laptop during the, during the worship. And uh, he was gracious. He changed it at 6 o'clock this morning. So I had a bit of time to prep with it. Um, and he didn't change it to a different sermon. He just changed the actual sermon and tweaked bits and pieces. So, so if I jump around a bit, just bear with me. Um, but I'm trying to go where God's taking me. Um, in all of this. So the reason I want to talk about living behind enemy lines is that sometimes I, I meet with people and we talk about life and we talk about what's going on. And there seems to be this impression that we're a bit like Israel. You know, Israel, they went in the desert, they made it through the desert, they got to the promised land the land of milk and honey, they had made it. This was it. This is as good as it gets. This is the rest that God and Moses had promised us. And okay, yeah, there's a few guys over there. There's a bit of pagan worship over there. There's a couple of things happening on the hills over there. But, but we're Israel, and we've made it, and we're holy. And I felt like God saying, but that's not what this world is like. The rest that he's talking about is still to come. You know, we're a, we're a kingdom within a world, but the world that we live in does not, but it's not under the dominion of Jesus yet. It's under his control, but he's given dominion to another. And there, and, and I'm going to get into it now, but there's that sense of if we're living our daily lives thinking that we've made it and this is the promised land, there are going to be things that we embrace that aren't actually from God. 
and that's the that's what I want to get into. So let me set the scene in case I've made anybody wobble with a couple of sentences there. All right, God is in control. I do believe God's in control. If anybody's heard something different, but let me just set the scene. So right in the beginning, in the beginning there was God, and then God created the world through Genesis, and the world was good, and then He created man and woman. And it didn't go good for very long. And it fell apart. And, it, and evil crept in. Okay? And, say, and, then, and then it got worse and worse. And many things happened. And then I fast forward to Jesus. And be, as Jesus starts his ministry, he goes into the desert, spirit-led. You know, the spirit led him into the desert. And uh, there he meets Satan. And at one point Satan says, I will give you all that you see. If you will submit to me, if you'll obey me, if you'll worship me. Like, but that's Jesus. I mean, I know Satan's the deceiver, but you're not going to deceive God. So why would he offer it if it wasn't his to offer? All right? And then if we go into the present, if we go to 1 John, a lot of my scriptures are coming from 1 John. So the first scripture I had was 1 John 5.19. This is the end of 1 John. Um, normally we start at the beginning and work our way through it, but I'm going the other way around. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Okay, that's scripture. That's pretty definitive. But, like I said, that's where we are today. But there's more to come. And I'm going to jump out of 1 John after promising a lot of it. And the next scripture I want to share is 1... Um, to, uh, where we got? Yeah. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10. It says here, How you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait. That's my emphasis. Um, Not Paul's. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Right? There is more to come. There is the return of the king to come and take victory once and for all. But that is still to come. And in the meantime, he's called us to fight on his behalf and to live in the dominion of of Satan, but in the power of God. And so, hold on. And so based on those scriptures... I hope you will agree with me that we are living behind enemy lines and that everywhere we go, you can't escape it. Everywhere you go, you can go on holiday. You can go to a nice sunny climate or you can hide in your cubicle at your desk at work. Everywhere you go, you know, he's there. All right. But the good news is Jesus is coming in power. I think it said there, in power to bring freedom and restoration. And we see some of that freedom and restoration today. And that's what we're fighting for. We aren't going to see the fullness of it, but we are seeing parts of it. But unfortunately, we're living in a broken and sinful world. And Ryan shared the scripture last week, 2 Corinthians 4.17, about light and momentary afflictions versus eternal weight of glory. And that comes into it. Like, we live in a broken, sinful world, so there will be hardship. There will be sickness. There will be problems. There will be poverty. And there will be issues. 
And that is why we have to live with our eyes on a preferable future. Like those in the desert as they were plodding along in the desert saying, one day we're going to get there. One day we're going to get there. There is a preferable future. But unfortunately, what some people try to do is they try to make the most of it out of current circumstances. And that's the difference. Um, We're not called to make the most out of this. We're called to make the most out of Jesus and to glorify the King so that one day when we meet him face to face, he will give us our crown and we will throw our crown at his feet and we will glorify him more and more. One day we will get our rewards, but not in the current circumstances. So yes, we must live in freedom. So just to balance myself out, we must live in joy. We should be the happiest people we meet on the street. We must live with peace and with love. But all of those things, they should come in spite of the world, not from the world. Because all of those things are sourced in the king and the spirit in our lives. Okay? And we, there was a prophetic word that came last week from Isaiah 40 about making the path straight, what uh, John the Baptist shared as well, making the path straight. And I felt that coming through of like, we are called to hold the line. We're called to hold our ground in the fight because the king is coming to invade this world. Jesus is coming to invade, and we've got to hold the line for him in the meantime. So then to get into this, and this is where I want to spend a lot of my time, is getting into what are those tactics. So if we are living behind enemy lines, how should we live? What should we look like? And the first thing I want to tell you, and I was reading through it yesterday, if you're going to take one note, take this. Read 1 John from beginning to end. Okay? If you want some good tactics, read 1 John from beginning to end. It's only five uh, chapters, and it's relatively light reading depending on the translation, Um, but go and read that. And a lot of my points are coming out of there. So I've got four tactics that I want to share with you this morning. For those that want to number them, there are four of them. And the first one, and I was even reflecting on it during the prayer meeting this morning, and it was just amazing how God had given me these points in order. They actually build up to something. It wasn't my plan, so I can't take credit for it. But, But the first point is fellowship. And all these references to the Lord of the Rings come into my head. Um, But fellowship. But fellowship with who? Fellowship with God, but also fellowship with his people, with each other. There are a lot of people in the world today that say, it's just me and God. I just need God. Scripture doesn't agree with that. Scripture is very clear. Be with my people. Be with me and be with my people. And uh, yeah, in 1 John 1, it talks about, with, you know, if we're not in fellowship, we're not even in God's army. So first of all, do we know there's an army? We know there's an enemy. We know there's a fight. We know there's a battleground. We now know that we're living behind enemy lines. But how can you be a soldier without an army? And we need fellowship. In 1 John 2, it talks about clinging to Jesus and not to the world. And there's a fancy word, abide. Abide in him. It's a very strong word. And I was trying to look for something that I could translate abide into, but it's just its own word. It's just, there's no better word than abide. But it's cling to, it's graft into. 
in, in John 15, Jesus talks about the vine and being grafted into the vine. It's been, it's been put in, deeply rooted into something. And something else that God to, uh, spoke to me about while I was preparing for this was that if I'm rooted in the vine and you're rooted in the vine, in a sense, we're rooted into each other. We're all part of the same vine. We're not the same branch, but we're part of the same vine. We're all rooted in together. So again, how can there be no fellowship? There must be fellowship. Okay? And part of that is social, and part of that is functional. And that's one of the big things that we have to find and you need to pray into is, how do I balance friendship and function? I can't just be friends but I can't also just come to church because it's the right thing to do and I'm there on Sunday and I'm there on Wednesday. I'm doing what I'm told and the elders have asked me to fast. So I'm fasting or praying or bringing and sharing. But it's, it's, it comes out of friendship. It comes out of more than just functioning. And so the question I want to ask, and I'm going to ask this question a few times this morning is, is Jesus at the center of your daily walk? Because if Jesus is at the center, then you're going to have fellowship there. And you're going to have fellowship with him. And in fellowship with God, you can't help but love your brother. John talks about that as well. If you don't love your brother, but you love me, you say you love me, I don't know. Do you? How can you if you don't love your brothers and sisters, my other children? All right, so that's the first point, fellowship. And Jesus at the center. The second point, and this I thought this is what I thought was the key point. God had a different plan this morning when he changed my, my sermon, but I thought this was the key point. But the second tactic, and there's a scripture for this one, which is 1 John 2, 15 through 17. And this tactic is, do not love the world and the things of the world. Let's read it. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. There's that word, abides. So growing onto fellowship, the next step, what do we love? right? And uh, I thought this was the key scripture. I mean, I could just talk about this all morning. Um, But there's a sense of, has your heart been captured by the world, by the things of the world, by the social media, by the next best holiday, by the nice car, by the best job? Or has your heart been captured by Jesus? And uh, in the prayer meeting last week, when Luke was here, he shared, and I'm stealing it now, and, but he shared the, the, the tactic of the, the monkey trap that they use, in, I think he said in parts of Natal, where they'll take a watermelon and they'll drill a hole in it and they'll put stuff inside, and the seeds inside, and the monkey will put its hand inside, grab the stuff, and get stuck. Now, it must be a pretty huge watermelon because, I mean... I'm pretty sure some of those bigger monkeys can carry the watermelon home and then everybody can eat. But um, they are so stuck on the treasure that they found that they don't know how to let go. 
And they, they're like, I'm stuck. I'm panicking. I'm stuck. I'm panicking. But I don't want to lose this thing I found. And it's like, no, let go. It's not worth your life. It's really not worth your life. And some of us this morning, it's that thing of like, I found something amazing. And maybe it is amazing for now, but it's going to fall away. It's going to fade away one day. So it's amazing for now, but it's not what God has for you. It's not the true treasure that Jesus talks about when he talks about the pearl of great price. When he talks about the treasure found in the field and the guy goes out and sells everything he has, even the stuff he likes. And sometimes we think, yeah, I'll sell the stuff I don't need anymore. No, even the stuff he likes to take that thing on. And so again, I ask the question, is Jesus at the center of your daily walk? Or has your heart been captured by a treasure, a substitute treasure that is not from him? And then the third point. So this is the third tactic. So we had fellowship with God and his people. Do not love the world. So what should we love? And then God answers it because he's gracious. Love God and his people. All right? And uh, see how cutting in. In 1 John 3, he talks a lot about love. Okay, John talks a lot about love. Let's just get over that. He loved to love. Okay, but in 1 John 3, he says love is our main weapon. So again, we're in a battle. Everybody thinks, okay, we're pacifists now. No, we're in a battle. But it's a spiritual battle. And love is our main weapon. Love born through abiding in Jesus. Love born through walking in the Spirit. That is the weapon that we're using and uh, the two references I wanted to make just to prove this was, uh, if those of you who know Dan Barnard, he was, here, he was here for the gathering and then he spent some time here. He did a sermon. I was listening to his sermon. He was talking about the son of thunder uh, being John, this John, the same John that wrote all about love in one John. And this is the guy who wanted to call down like storms and hail and fire and Every all sorts of stuff on a village because the village didn't receive Jesus. I mean, they didn't know it was Jesus. And he was just like, ah, sinners, kill them. This is the guy who wrote 1 John. This is the guy who wrote all about love. This is the guy that they called the apostle of love. And so that sermon goes to, I'm not going to go into it now, but the whole transition. Then I'll take another guy that you might have heard of, Paul. So Paul started out as a murderer. Okay, he thought he was doing God's work, but he was really keen to kill the Christians when he was Saul, and he met God, and God changed him. And that's the guy who wrote 1 Corinthians 13, the quintessential passage on the love of God, written by a guy who only a few years earlier wanted to kill those people he was writing to. If that's not a life change, then I don't know what is. We are called to love. So you might be sitting here today saying, yeah, but mm, I don't know. I'm not that kind of guy. I'm not wired that way. Um, I'm not really emotional. Uh, you're wrong. <laughs> We've got a saying at work. Uh, no. You are. The greatest commandment when they challenged Jesus was love. It came down to love. 
And that's what he's calling us to do. And the great thing about love is it's not focused on us. So I don't care if you don't want to love because it's not about you. It's about God. And it's about his people. And that's also something I've seen this whole week is just spending time with people. We were at a prayer time yesterday praying for a couple. And just the love pouring out. The love pouring out. Meeting with people and meeting with Adam this week and him telling me again about how much love they've been receiving in their their time of need. But it's practical. It's real. Love is not just, uh, we, we love you, man. Good luck. Love is real. Love you can feel. Love you can see. And where can you feel it? Where can you see it? Here. You guys are love. You guys are the hands and feet of Jesus behind the enemy lines, loving. And one thing I wanted to point out here is when it said in the last one, it was do not love the world. We're talking about the material world. We are called to love those that aren't in the church, to draw them in. God's a big believer in salvation. God's a big believer in evangelism. You may have heard it earlier from Mike. Um, but God loves. All right? And so there's a, the, the, the best cha- part of the best chapter in 1 John on this is if you, wanna, if you don't have a lot of time, you can't get through the whole one, 1 John 4. Read that chapter. After, I think it's after verse 7. To love God is to abide in God. 1 John 4, 16. It's all about loving God, abiding in God, and building on that. Okay. And then my last point. That was a very quiet response, but all good. <laughs> I hope I haven't shocked anyone. Okay, so the last point is So we're fellowshipping with God, we're fellowshipping with each other, we're not loving the stuff in the world, we're loving the people in the world, we're loving God's people, we're loving God. And then the final tactic, and it's not really a tactic, I don't know why I called it a tactic, but we overcome the world. We're not called to just fall to the wayside, we're not called to be pacifists and just let life happen to us. We're called to overcome the world. And this is, I think, my last scripture, which is 1 John 5, which is 4 and 5. For everyone who has been born of God, that's us, overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Sounds pretty simple to me. Love God, love people, overcome the world, have faith, right? But he's building it into it. But that would be easy if everybody was on the same page. But like I said, it's a, it's a battle, it's a war. The world is sick. Wilmer Ray talks about darkness and fear because in darkness, there is fear. Whenever you feel fear, there is darkness. Unless it's the fear of God, just reverence, but if you're feeling fear, if you've been fearful about life, it's darkness. Versus faith, and he has this whole message where he talks about every time God, Jesus healed somebody, he says to them, "Be of good cheer." It sounds so old school, but when Paul says it, it sounds amazing. Um, 
But greater things, Jesus promised us, greater things than this you will have and you will do. And he was talking about how we will operate in the world. We will overcome sickness. And we heard about that earlier. We will overcome fear. We will overcome doubt, lack of faith. All those things we are called to overcome. And in that, our faith grows. Our faith, we don't get it. It's like those people are like, I just want to lose a bit of weight before I go to gym. You know? It's like, no, go to gym. <laughs> It'll work. You know? Don't wait to have faith to exercise the faith. The truth is in the word and you have the word. Go and use it. God is calling his church to rise up, as Jonah was talking about. Rise up and go be used in the world. But the one thing I want to say here on this scripture about overthrowing or overcoming the world, sorry, not overthrowing, overcoming, is that he's not talking about overthrowing. So when Jesus was on the earth and they were all like, worshiping him and putting down the, the branches on the ground and celebrating him as the returning king, they thought he was coming to kick out the Romans. And he's like, no, 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 I'm coming to kick out the sin in your life. I'm going to go down the cross. I'm going that way. You want me to go that way? I'm actually going that way. Go to the temple and I'm, then I'm going to head off to the cross. You know? And sometimes today, even as Christians, we sit here going, we need to pray more and we need to pray for the government to get saved so we can live in a Christian world. And that's beautiful, but that's not God's plan in the bigger scheme of things. If you read Revelation, to me, it seems pretty clear that it gets darker and darker, and then Jesus comes in. And so we must pray for the government. We must pray for our leaders. We must pray for society as a whole. But we mustn't get stuck on that it's only working if we see God's hand moving through organized human society. It's good, but it's not everything. God's solution for a sick and dying world is the church. It's you guys. It's not the government. It's you guys as his church rising up as people. So yes, we pray and we trust and we fast we want peace in the, in the land, but we want to overcome the material world through the Spirit and through Jesus. Okay? We are to, not to resist human rule, but we're here to resist demonic oppression. That's the overcoming that we're doing, the demonic oppression in this world. All right? So we need to balance our lives out. I'm not calling us to live as paupers. I'm not saying don't have anything. Let's all go and you know, sell our houses and just kind of hope for the best and hope Jesus comes back tomorrow before the sale goes through. It's not what I'm calling us to. It's not what God called us to. This is the God. This is the balance he gave me. This is the God who made King Solomon King Solomon. You know, king, when Solomon became king, he had nothing. He was just a kid. He said to himself, I'm young, I know nothing, I've got nothing. And then God raised him up to be the wealthiest man in the world. So God doesn't have an issue with money. He doesn't have an issue with us having stuff. He's got an issue with that stuff getting into our heart. Right, so so hear what I, don't hear what I'm not saying. I guess that's the Josh Jen catchphrase. Um, but we're called to overcome. We're called to fellowship. 
We're called to love the right thing and the right people, and we're called to overcome. And in that overcoming, there will be life, and life in abundance. So in landing, and I've pretty much stuck to my time, yay me. I wasn't sure. But in landing, just to go back to those things, we're fighting behind and living behind enemy lines. And the thing, I just wanted to leave a few things with you that are pitfalls of having the wrong tactics. So this is all about having the right tactics for life and godliness. So some of the things that might happen if you have the wrong tactics, and you've got to, as we're coming into a land now, just, just process this, reflect on this. Does any of this ring true for you? Because if it does, God wants to change that this morning, right now. But some of the things that will come through if you've got the wrong tactics is you're trying to make the most out of this world. You're trying to have the best life you can possibly have, and you're trying to just do well. And the second one is you're trying to fix this world. All of your energy, all of your your livelihood goes into fixing the world. This is my passion. I'm going to make the world the best it can be. And I'll go to church on the side, and I'll, I'll spend time with God on the side, but I'm passionate about this world and fixing it. The third one is you've lost sight of eternity, and you're not living in suffering and hardship today, like Ryan said, Because there's so much better. The best life today is worse than the worst life in eternity. So I don't, I care about my life today, I do. But not in light of eternity. In light of eternity, it's going to be nothing. It's going to be a bad dream compared to what's going to be on the other side. And And then the last one is just, prematurely expecting the, f- the fullness of the kingdom today. And there's a movement that does that. But getting disappointed every time that it doesn't come right. So we pray for healing and the person doesn't get healed. Okay, God, you suck. I'm over this. I'm just going to live my best life and go around in circles. And people do lose the fight and they get frustrated. But if we understand that we're living in a sick and depraved world, even when Paul prayed for people, not everybody got well. All right? But we're living with the best that we can get in God, but with an eye to eternity. And our fight is a fight of faith. So the call this morning is to stand strong in that fight. In Romans 4, he talks about fighting the fight of faith and standing strong in the promises that God has. God has spoken promises over each and every one of you. If you don't feel like God has a promise spoken over your life, just speak to somebody next to you. God has a promise for this life and the next. The promises are, this life will have trouble and heaven will be indescribable. Those are the promises of God. So again, is Jesus at the center of your daily walk? And are you living for today or are you living for eternity? And I'm going to leave it there.